0: Let me just say a quick word of welcome to any guests we have with us today. We are glad you are here and believe that God has brought you to be with us. And we pray that our time in the Word and in worship will be well spent for you. If you would, take your Bibles and let's go to Romans chapter 3. Our text today begins in verse 27. But before we get into... This passage, I want to talk about some of the practical effects of justification. We have been talking about justification, this work of God in our lives that makes us right in His presence. And Paul's picture is one of a courtroom in Romans chapter three, in which every human being stands before God, condemned, guilty of rebellion. And in which God, the judge himself, provides righteousness for us. It is God's righteousness for us. But as I reflected this week on this wonderful teaching on justification, I recognize that this section of Romans is very theologically dense. And while it's crucial that we understand the depths of these truths, I want to make sure that you You don't think that this teaching on justification is just some abstract theological concept. But rather, understanding that you as God's child are justified has implications for how you live life. Let me give you some ways justification gives you victory as a Christian, as a child of God. First of all, being justified assures you when you sin, being justified assures you when you sin. One of the enemy's most powerful weapons is doubt to cause us to question the love of God for us and our security as his child. It is one of the enemy's greatest weapons to rob believers of the joy of certainty and assurance. Justification being made right before God removes sin from your record, your past record and your future record. But justification does not remove sin from your life. God will do that finally someday and completely. He is in the process of removing sin from your life right now. But the work of justification that is done and completed in your life as a Christian does not remove sin. We still struggle with sin. When you stumble and fall, your defense is. I am justified. It is God's declaration of your righteousness, which has greater power than your doubts about his love for you. So, being justified assures you when you sin. Yes, I sinned. Yes, I blew it. But God has declared me just, God has made me righteous. Secondly, being justified sets you free from guilt and shame. Being justified sets you free from guilt and shame. Sin brings guilt and shame. And there is a right kind of guilt. There is the kind of guilt that leads you to a godly sorrow that leads you to repentance. But there is the kind of guilt that is really unbelief, a refusal to trust in God's provision for you, uh, a failure to believe God when he says, I have declared you just. That kind of guilt debilitates, that kind of guilt gnaws at your soul, that kind of guilt prevents you from living with the freedom that God intends when he declared you just, when he declared you righteous. Jesus' sacrificial death, listen, is what God sees when he looks at you. He sees you as one who is bought with the blood of Christ, one whose sins are atoned for, Jesus bore the guilt. Jesus bore the shame. It's what the cross was. It was not only the penalty for sin and rebellion, it was the guilt and the shame that went with it. Jesus bore that guilt and shame. And when God justified you, he freed you from it. He has declared you righteous. Also, being justified empowers you to forgive others. Being justified empowers you to forgive others. Ephesians 4, verse 32 tells us, Forgive others as God in Christ forgave you. Now, think about it when somebody wrongs you, what is our reaction? We may not fire off with words. We may not react, but outwardly. But on the inside, what is the first thing we do? We take that person to court, don't we? We take them into the courts of our minds, and we accuse them. This person has wronged me, and here's how they've wronged me, and here's evidence A and evidence B. I want justice. And in the courts of our mind, we put that person on trial. But haven't you been on trial? Haven't I been on trial? Don't you and I stand in God's courtroom? Haven't we stood there, guilty and condemned, only to be forgiven, only to be declared righteous by grace, a gift? We have. We have been justified by grace. Nothing of our own, no worth of our own, no claim of our own. Your justification, your being declared right before God in his courtroom empowers you to forgive others in the courtroom of your own mind when you put them on trial. Being justified empowers you to forgive others. Now think about, think about the implications of what it would be like if we all forgave each other. Just forgave all the time. We still need to deal with sin. There are times we need to bring it up. There are times we need to confront it. But what if we were all always forgiving each other? Justification makes a difference. Just one more being justified gives you confidence to pray. Being justified gives you confidence to pray. Proverbs fifteen twenty nine says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. He hears the prayers of the righteous. Psalm 34, verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. Uh, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. James would echo this in James chapter 5, verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. If you're like me, You have at times read texts like these and gone, yeah, but that's for someone who's righteous. I don't feel righteous. I feel anything but righteous. That's not me. I'm not sure that applies to me. But it is you. It is you. If you've believed in Jesus for justification, you are the righteous person. You are the righteous, and God's declaration, again, has greater power and authority than your emotions. You just have to believe in, even when you don't feel it. This is why the Apostle John would write in 1 John chapter 5, Because you belong to him, because you've been justified, because you have eternal life, that you can pray to him. Our cries to God are heard because we are justified. Justification is not an academic subject. It affects all of life, even if you're not thinking about it. Though we should think about it that way. These are just a few examples and you and I, we need to live like justified people. Right, now let's give our attention to Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 27. That's just a way of bringing us to this text, where Paul turns his focus to one crucial element of the gospel, and that is faith. That's faith. Now he's already emphasized the absolute need for faith in Romans Chapter 1 verse 17, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. He also says earlier in chapter 3 verses 22 through 25, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. This redemption that is in Christ Jesus is to be received by faith. He says it again in verse 26 God would be the just uh, would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And now Paul clarifies that when he says by faith he means by faith alone. Faith and faith alone. As I've mentioned before it was this teaching, this claim sola fide Faith alone that fueled the Protestant Reformation and brought the Reformers, especially Martin Luther, into such sharp conflict with the Roman Catholic Church. Which teaches the need for human cooperation with God's grace to bring about justification. That's why when the Roman Catholic Church heard sola fide, they condemned it as heresy. Whereas Martin Luther declared, if that article, the article being justification by faith alone, if that article stands, the church stands. If it falls, the church falls. Why is this so crucial? Why is this so vital for salvation? Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Father, this is your word, the word of our salvation. And its truth is our our only hope. Lord, help us to wrestle well with what you have revealed here. Lord, I pray that you would open our minds to understand that you would make our hearts soft to respond. Amen. Now, keep in mind that Paul's concern in these chapters is that people return to their creator. That people be saved from God's wrath, which is being revealed from heaven. Paul says, this is the gospel that I preach. This is my commission Why is justification by faith alone so crucial? Why divide the world over it? Because faith alone brings a person into a right relationship with God. Faith alone brings a person into a right relationship with God. And this is how. First, faith alone eliminates boasting. Faith alone eliminates boasting, then what becomes of our boasting? Boasting here isn't just bragging. We, when we hear the word boasting, we think of someone who brags, who brags about themselves, who tries to, to talk about how good they are and what they've done, what they own, what they've accomplished. But here when Paul says, then what becomes of your, our boasting? It certainly includes bragging, but he's talking about your point of pride. Whatever it is that you want to show off, whatever it is you appeal to as credential. What happens to our claims of achievement? What happens to our credentials? What happens to our confidence in our cooperation? If the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, if the righteousness of God is for those who believe in Jesus Christ, if justification is grace as a gift, then what becomes of our boasting? Boasting is excluded, Paul says, rejected. Our achievements and our boasting in them are excluded from any role in making us just. Before God. By what kind of law? By a a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. In other words, what kind of governing principle excludes any boasting from us? What kind of system would exclude the boasting? Is it the system of the law of works? Isn't it, is it this governing principle? So then, the law of works is the law of Moses, then, that's seen as an entire system of demands, a system of demands that required works to have those demands satisfied. So the law that requires works does not exclude boasting. But neither can the law that requires works justify a person. It can't justify a person. No, but by the law of faith. So it is this governing system of faith, Paul is making a play on words, it is this governing system of faith that does exclude boasting means it makes it impossible to boast. And it is faith that does justify a person. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law, verse 28. So you see, you can't, you can't believe and boast. You can't do both. It is either faith alone, or it is boasting. Faith mixed with achievement is not faith; it's boasting, and you are not justified by before God. Paul is speaking to Jews most directly because having the law made them especially vulnerable to self-confidence, to this boasting in keeping the law. But all of us in every culture, in every age, tend to boast in our achievements. Our achievements in philosophy, our achievements in technology, our achievements in liberty, our achievements in humanitarianism, our achievements in prosperity, Because that's the human heart, which is why the law of works does not exclude boasting. The law of works doesn't deal with the human heart, which wants to try to attain righteousness, to achieve righteousness by keeping all of the law. This is the human heart. And it's why every religion in the world, except for evangelical Christianity, is built on human achievement or failure. Justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, makes evangelical Christianity the most radical religion on the earth. We come to God with empty hands. We boast in nothing except for Christ. That distinguishes Christianity. If this is true, if justification by faith alone is apart from works, then what do we do with all of the rest of the New Testament passages about the importance of works? Well, most of those passages are speaking about the importance of perseverance, that as someone who has had faith and been justified before God is to live out their faith. But especially, we have to wrestle with James 2.24. Paul says in Romans 3.28... For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Okay. James writes in James 2.24, You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Okay. (laughs) Hold on. Because what are we supposed to do with what seems like a direct contradiction between two verses? Now, some will come to these two passages and they will say, well, James and Paul obviously disagreed. They had a theological disagreement. And James promoted one thing and Paul was teaching another. And James and Paul obviously had a conflict. The problem with that is that we hold to one divine author. Yes, James is a human author. And yes, Paul is a human author, and it was possible for even the apostles to have disagreements. If you want an example, you can see in Galatians chapter 1 where Paul records a conflict he had with the apostle Peter and had to confront him. So they can have disagreements. But when they are writing the New Testament, we understand that they are being carried along by the Holy Spirit to reveal divine truth that the one divine author is overseeing. If we begin then from that point, we have to say, well, these two verses, how do we reconcile them then? They don't contradict each other. Now, some will then say in a way of relieving the tension, trying to solve for this, that they mean different things by the terms they're using, that they're using justified differently. That's a very common one. Or they're using works differently, those terms differently. That's also a very common resolution. But I would say that the difference has to do with two reference points as seen in the context of James chapter 2 and in the context of Romans chapter 3. Now, this is just kind of a summary. Otherwise, this turns into a second sermon within a sermon on James chapter 2. But as a summary, Paul in Romans chapter 3 is correcting a misunderstanding of the relationship of faith and works, where works are something done to merit salvation, merit justification. James is correcting a misunderstanding between true faith and false faith, which he calls dead faith. Those are their two reference points. And you can read James chapter 2, verses 1 through 26, and you can see... James's argument here, I'm sorry, verses 14 through 26. You can see James's argument that someone who claims to have faith but has no works, can that faith save him? James is confronting a false kind of faith. So Paul sees boasting in works as competing with faith. Therefore, Faith alone saves. Your works merit nothing. They are no credentials. James is speaking of works from a different vantage point. He is looking at works not as meriting justification, but as necessary to the kind of faith that saves. Let me illustrate it this way. Paul is comparing a tree to a telephone pole. Paul is pointing to the tree and saying it is only faith that saves, faith alone. To attempt to be justified before God by climbing the telephone pole will only end in judgment. You can never climb fast enough. You can never climb high enough. Your efforts, the telephone pole, are bankrupt. That's the law of works. So that's Paul's point of reference, okay? It's the tree versus the telephone pole. James is not concerned about the telephone pole at all. James is comparing two trees. And James says, yes, he would agree with Paul. He would say, yes, the tree, faith, alone, The telephone pole will never merit you salvation. It will never merit justification. But James says, but there are two kinds of trees over here. One tree is a living tree that works. It has works. It has changed life that completes it, that makes it real faith. And there is a false kind of tree, a dead tree. It looks like the living tree. But if you go with that tree, that's just as bad as the telephone pole. That tree is a dead faith, and it cannot save you. You see what I'm saying? So that's the reference point. These two verses, when they're just taken side by side, appear to be saying two contradictory things, don't they? But when you look at the argument of the two passages, they complement one another because both of them are dangerous. Both of the alternatives to faith that works, a living faith, brings death, destruction, and judgment. Whether you are trying to achieve righteousness by your own merits, by your own works, or whether you think that having faith means you can live however you want. Both of those will damn your soul. James and Paul both find the one truth. There is one kind of faith, and it is that faith alone that saves, that justifies. Paul actually says something very similar to James. It's not that far off. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through 10. And we know the first two verses very well. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. There you go. There's Romans chapter three, verse 28. It is not by works, so that no one can boast. No one can pull out their credentials. No one can say, yeah, but I did this, and I sacrificed this, and I gave up this. And Verse 10, though. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And the picture that Paul gives here in verse 10, then, is that being saved, this grace that is at work in our lives, that is not our own doing, that is a gift of God, that is not a result of work, comes with a path of good works, which God has already prepared that we should walk in it. And if we are not walking in it, then that is not the salvation by grace through faith in verses 8 and 9. So you see, Paul doesn't disagree with James. He's saying the same thing in Ephesians 2. All right, back to Romans chapter 3 then. Faith alone, faith alone, okay, our justification is by faith alone, and it eliminates boasting. Secondly, faith alone provides access to God. Faith alone provides access to God. Verse 29, Paul continues his point by arguing that if righteousness came through works and not faith, then God would have to be God over the Jews only, and the Gentiles would be left out with no God. Because the law, which gave Jews their identity as God's people, was a barrier to Gentiles. The law was meant to separate the Jewish people out, designate them, identify them as God's people, set apart to Him. That excludes the Gentiles unless they became Jews, unless they converted completely to Judaism. Otherwise, they're out. Gentiles could relate to God as creator, but any personal relationship with God was established by the law and could only be known by the Jews. But Paul says that Gentiles are justified by faith alone, apart from works of the law, because God is one. This is a phrase that was declared by pious Jews every day. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, the Lord our God is one Lord. So Paul takes one of the fundamental beliefs of the Jewish faith and he takes it and turns it against the assumptions that they have to show that justification comes by faith alone. It has to. Because God is one. And because God is one, he must be the God of Gentiles also, and that justification must come through faith, both for Jew and Gentile. The circumcised And the uncircumcised, God is one and he is the justifier of both the circumcised and the uncircumcised through faith and faith alone. So even the Jews, having been set apart from the law, could never have the relationship with God, the standing before God could never be justified before him by keeping the law. The law, as we've already seen, confronted sin. It exposed the rebellion of the heart. It gave the standard of righteousness. And so it is faith alone that provides us access to the one true God, equal access. Now, we live far removed from first century ancient Near East, And Rome, where Paul is writing this. We are far removed from the church or churches that are a Jew and Gentile mix. That's not the case in Rome. In Rome, in the early church, the beginnings of the church the congregations were mixed. In fact, the congregations, the first congregations, began as almost entirely Jewish congregations. Christianity was seen as a sect of Judaism. Part of the reason Luke writes the book of Acts is to explain how Christianity is not a sect of Judaism, but a different belief system and religion altogether. Though tied, of course, to The covenants in the Old Testament. But they had a conflict that we don't really experience in the same way today. But as we work through Romans, you're going to see that that's part of what Paul is unpacking in Romans, is this understanding of the right relationships between Jews and Gentiles, But we have to appreciate through the pages of the New Testament what it means for us as Gentiles to be included in the covenant, to be included in salvation. We're so far removed that we have to work to appreciate it. But we were excluded. We were outside before Jesus came, before the church was born. And whether Jew or Gentile as the writer of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 11:6 without faith it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him we have access to God because justification is by faith alone so faith alone provides us access to God Thirdly, faith alone upholds the law. Faith alone upholds the law, verse 31. Okay, so if this is the case, that righteousness before God is gained by faith alone, that it's gained apart from any works, we would be left to think that the law then is overthrown, or this word could be nullified, or I like the word canceled. That the law is just canceled. You know, this is what Jesus came along, and he preached so radically that this is what people initially thought Jesus was preaching, such that he has to say in Matthew chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. I have not come to destroy it. I have not come to overthrow it. I have not come to cancel the law out, but to fulfill the law. This is why Paul responds so adamantly here. Are we, do we overthrow the law? Do we cancel the law? By no means. No way. No way. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So how does faith, this is the question, how does faith, apart from works, uphold the law? That demands works. Well, uphold means something like Jesus meant in Matthew chapter 5, fulfill. So faith alone doesn't cancel the law. Paul says, no way. Faith fulfills the law. And you say, what? How's that? Doesn't that make faith a work? So my believing is fulfilling the law? That's how I'm keeping the law? Doesn't that make faith a work in and of itself? No, and here's why. Because it is faith in Jesus Christ. That's why. It is faith in Jesus Christ, and Christ fulfilled all the demands of the law. That's what he meant in Matthew 5 when he said, I've not come to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill it. He says, not one jot or tittle, those are are Hebrew words for, for little marks in the Hebrew language. Not one jot or tittle shall pass away before all of the law. Nothing shall pass away. How does Jesus do that? How can he say that? I've come to fulfill it. So, Christ fulfilled all of the demands of the law, and when you believed in him, God credited that fulfillment to you. That's how faith upholds the law. You didn't fulfill the law. Your faith, in and of itself, doesn't keep the law, it doesn't check off the box. Your faith is in Jesus's righteousness, and he obeyed the law perfectly, fully. And when you believed in him and were declared righteous, God gave to you, credited to your account, Jesus's fulfillment of the law. This is what we call the doctrine of imputation. That's the big theological word for this teaching, that Jesus's righteousness is imputed. It is given, credited to you and to me. And this becomes the point that Paul will elaborate in chapter four. So that's where we're going, is unpacking what it means for our faith to be counted to us as righteousness. And of course, Paul turns to whom as the example Abraham, that Abraham is the the proof that faith counts as righteousness. But let me ask you this question then. Why is justification by faith alone so crucial? Why divide the world over it? The answer is simply this, because God loves people. It's because God loves people, even his enemies, those who have rejected him. Follow me. Because God loves people, we love people. And loving people the way God loves people means bringing them to God for forgiveness and new life. To be saved from judgment. And People can only know God's love and forgiveness by believing in Jesus alone and abandoning all boasts of achievement. That's why justification by faith alone is so crucial. Because it's that alone that will save somebody. Can I highlight two of our core commitments here at Crossway? We are compelled to love others, right? We're compelled to love others, and we are compelled to proclaim Christ. I think it would be appropriate to say that we love others by proclaiming Christ. That would also be true, right? It is in proclaiming Christ and Christ alone and trusting in him alone and coming to God with empty hands when no claims, no boasts, that brings someone justification before the the throne of God. Because only by trusting Christ can people be saved from that judgment which is certainly to come. So why is it important? Because God loves people. It's why Paul is writing all of this. Because it is his mission to preach the gospel. And so he impacts this gospel to save, to save. And Lord, we long for you to save. Lord, we long for people to come to the truth, to come to you with empty hands, and to know the thrill, the true joy of what it means to bask in your grace, to simply believe you, to humble themselves, let go of any claims before you that they might be justified by grace alone and through faith alone in Christ alone. In your name, we ask all of these things and proclaim them. Amen.